listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. can take your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 3, Titus 3. And as you're turning there, uh, you just love hearing the sound of pages turning or the glow on your faces if you're lighting up your tablet or phone to, to Titus chapter 3. Just make sure you keep it your, your phone or tablet on Titus 3 and not on other Uh, roaming options that you might find uh, this morning, but we love to also give away God's Word. We love the Word of God. We love to give it away, and if you don't have a copy of God's Word in your hand today, we'd love for you to take, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one so you can follow along, and if you don't have the copy of God's Word at home, it is then our gift to you for to be able to take God's Word and allow His Word to change, to transform as you read His Word. We love the Word of God. We love to preach God's Word. We love for you to be reading the Word of God daily, to be following along in our messages, to, to take notes uh, from the Word of God and, and, and other references that you're given and study it and learn to love and grow and build your life on the Word of God. And so Titus chapter 3, we'll be reading from there in a moment. Because this is now the eighth and, and I believe the final sermon in this relatively short uh, book of the Bible. Three chapters, 46 verses, and we have covered it over eight, over eight weeks. And this is what I just love about the Word of God. As you dig into it, as you grow in it, as you, as you study it, you just see the, the amazing depth of insight that the Holy Spirit gave to the writers of Scripture. Scripture, uh, when they penned these words for us with such succinctness, with such precision, and with such meaning that, that, that you can read the book of Titus in 10, maybe 12 minutes, depending how fast you can read, maybe 15 or 20 for some, but you can read it so quickly, and yet we spent eight weeks going through it, and we could probably spend another eight weeks or another 18 weeks just unpacking the deep truths, mining the, 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 the jewels and the gold that we find in the Word of God. That's what we love about God's Word, and so we love the beauty of God's Word, and so we're fired up about it. But here's something we should be asking ourselves as we bring this message series to a close, but this is a question we should be asking ourselves anytime we're reading the Word of God, anytime we're hearing teaching or preaching. We need to be asking ourselves this question, and here's the question. It's, so what? So what? As we read it, as we hear it, as we preach, preach about what am I doing with the Word of God? Over these last number of weeks in, in total, and we had a few weeks break as, as uh, we took off, uh, our family did on some holidays, and so over the last 10 weeks, as God's word has been proclaimed here, has your life been changed? Is it being transformed? Are you hearing the word of God and responding to it? Has there been growth? Has there been change? Have you been applying what you are hearing? Are you applying the word of God that you've been hearing or reading through podcasts or reading in the morning or in the evening or whenever you take time to read the word of God? Or is it just becoming a fathead with it? Are you, are you just, is it becoming knowledge or are you applying the word of God? And as we've been going through this series, if we were to do just just a quick recap, as we looked at chapter 1, chapter 1 took us, uh, t- talked about the importance of the church, and, and, and one of the sweet things you see in each chapter is we see a gospel declaration, we see the gospel call, we are reminded about what saves us and, and, and the beauty of the gospel, but in chapter 1 we saw the importance of godly, humble, God-dependent elders to lead the church. 
And sometimes when you see today churches that do not have elders, they come with board of directors or board of trustees, and they say, well, we don't function like an elders board, then you're no longer a church. The church of Jesus Christ is to be led by elders, by by biblical elders that God uh, oversees the appointment of that through the study of the word of God, applying the word of God, and and seeing godly elders, godly men raised up in this way. And and it's been part of the series. It's been a privilege for us to be able to install elders here locally in our church. And so when it comes to eldering and and praying for elders and, and upholding them, understanding their their role is to watch over you, to love you, to protect, to oversee like a shepherd looks after his, 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 the sheep that are entrusted into his care. And so we ought to be loving and supporting and praying and encouraging our leaders. Are you doing that? Are you praying? Are you supporting them, encouraging them in the various ways? Them, their family, their wives, their children have to understand that their church leadership Oftentimes they're in the front line for attack, for temptation, for the enemy to bring him down. He knows that if, if he can, can get to the heart of the leader, get to the heart of the family of, of leaders in the church, so goes the church. And, and, and there can be great danger and tragedy that can happen. Chapter 2, as we saw the purpose and the calling that we all have. Chapter 1 really focuses on elders and, and them silencing and working with false teachers and, and quiet and, uh, making sure that they're not infiltrating the church. But then chapter 2, we saw the purpose and calling that everyone has in the body of Christ. Whether you are younger, whether you are older, and basically it's like from, from age 12 and up, there is a job description uh, for, for each one of us, whether you are older, younger, male, female, and, and, and building these godly relationships. So have you, are you intentionally olders looking for youngers, youngers looking for olders to build into your life, to, to mentor, to walk with, to, to build into the lives of others, gospel relationships. Are we doing this? Are we just, yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, I think about it. Or are we going to actually get in there and, and start pursuing this as well as allow ourselves when people come to us to have and open opportunities to be able to, to meet and to gather and to build into others. You might think, well, I don't have a lot to learn. I have more mistakes than, than I have blessings or more mistakes than victories in my life. Well, then teach them from your mistakes. Teach them from the areas of struggle because so many lessons can be learned along the way in that. Are you intentionally seeking others out? Oh, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. We'll make time for what's important, won't we? We will. We'll readjust our schedule, we'll get babysitters, we'll, we'll, we'll take time off of work, we'll do this, we'll do whatever if it's important enough for us. This is one of the things, this is, this is a priority we see as, as, as we saw in chapter two, and you can read it again, this is a priority for our lives. This is part of God's will for our lives as his children. If you're an employee, the, the chapter gives some words to us as employees. Are you a good employee? Are you committed to your work? Are you working with integrity, with a full shovel, loving the people around you that God has placed in your workplace, including that difficult, terrible, awful boss? Are you giving your best at at your your work? That's what chapter 2 is calling us to live out. And then chapter 3, we started it last week, how we are challenged to live lives among an ungodly world. So that people just wouldn't see us, they just wouldn't see our good works, but ultimately they would see Christ in us and that they would come to want to know and to love and to trust this Jesus Christ for themselves personally. Or are we just assimilating and becoming more and more like the world? 
Sadly, 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 that oftentimes the only difference that people in the world can oftentimes observe or what they see about us as Christians is that maybe perhaps we cuss a little bit less, or at least um, not in public, maybe in our head. Or perhaps we buy fewer lottery tickets than the average person and that we give some of our time and some of our money to charitable causes. Are you compromising in different areas of life? Are you becoming so much like the world in your goals and your values in the way that you spend your time, your money, that you just reflect that of the world? Or does your life reflect that the gospel is making a difference? You see, this letter was written to be an instructional instructional letter that Titus was to share with the people in the churches in the island of Crete. And and, and what we see throughout the New Testament, what we see here in in the book is that the key framework or the, the framework or the foundation for our Christian community is to be the church. And so we're to be fired up, a part of, involved in, roll up our sleeves and be part of the local church. Is this... Is this true in your case, in your situation, or is church just something you attend? Something that has, makes a little bit of a difference in your life for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, and then you just go out and live your life, or is, are you building your life around gospel communities and relationships and, and opportunities to be on mission in an integral way in the body of Christ? You see, I ask these questions because there's a great danger that we can easily just know the Word of God, but not live and respond to the Word of God. We don't apply the Word of God. And so that's why whenever we read the Word of God, we have to ask ourselves, so what? What is this saying to me? How am I going to live differently? What am I going to do differently in light of what do I need to repent of? What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? How can I line myself up in a greater way with the Word of God? Because James 1.22, you might want to write this down, and these words are on the screen. We have this um, teaching from James, and he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. And it says then right after that, deceiving yourselves. You see, if we just know the word, but we don't do the word, we're deceiving ourselves. We're becoming fatheads. We know the word of God, but we're not living it, and that's a problem. We're deceiving ourselves in that way. And James then goes on to say a little bit, uh, a few verses down, he says, those who persevere, Those who persevere in the word, in doing the word, not just hearing it, but doing the word. He says, those who persevere, who does, who acts on the word of God will be blessed in what you are doing. This is the original hashtag blessed life. Anything else is, is falls somewhere below that, okay? We, we say we, you know, uh, are involved in this project or this thing or we're part of this or we live here and we see hashtag blessed. This is the original to have a life that is blessed, for, blessed by God. And he says that those who take the word and apply it to their lives will be blessed in what you are doing. You want a blessed life? We want to be people who not just hear the word but do the word of God. There's so much at stake And a God-blessed life just, it won't be easy. It's going to be a battle. The world, the flesh, the devil is going to come after us because he doesn't want us to be about gospel work. He wants us to be about our work, about our wants, our flesh, what our flesh wants, what our flesh desires as we look at others instead of looking at Christ. And it means a blessed life in this way doesn't mean that we're not going to go through hardships and difficulties. But even in the hardships and the difficulties, we can know his strengthening power and presence in our lives. 
And it's been a joy over the last four and a half years to watch people struggle and go through difficulties and hardships, whether it be health or family, relationships, disappointments, things haven't gone as planned, and to see the presence of Christ in their lives, giving them hope, giving them help, knowing God's presence and power. It's exciting to see that. That is a blessed life. And, and one of the things, um, just as, as we transition out of this and, and, and move into uh, the book of Titus, uh, once again here for the last time, um, just to set this up, if you know anything about me, if you basically have attended for very long, and especially going from the spring and into the summer months, you will come to know, what do I love? Cherries. You're right. You people are amazing. You just know it. I mean, cherries are my favorite fruit. But there's something else you need to know about me. I like something else that starts with the word C, and, and that is Charlotte, my wife. She, she definitely is one of those. I know that may sound cheesy, but, but, but hold on. There's another C word uh, there. Yes, Clarice, my daughter. Yes, you're right. But, but there's something else that starts with C that I love, and it has to do with vegetables, and that's cucumbers. And I really enjoy cucumbers, probably my favorite vegetable, especially the homegrown ones that you can grow. And this year, my wife just knocked it out of the park. She, she, she planted some cucumber plants on our front deck. And you can see on the two corners of our front deck, those cucumbers have really grown. They're in some nice big pots. She said, I have some extra room. And so she threw in uh, some cucumber plants. And wow, oh wow, are they producing. It is just wonderful. I, we went yesterday and, and, and just picked off two or three more, and then there's some more little ones that are coming that are growing quite nicely. Even though it got a little battered and beaten in the wind yesterday, um, they're still holding on and doing quite amazing, and uh, just love them. But, the, but last week I came home, and this is what the cucumber plant looked like. Honestly, I pulled up, and I saw it as I pulled them, and my heart sank, and I'm like, what's going on? It's dying, it's dead. Who didn't water it? Me, you know, and, and it's just like, oh man, that's crazy, you know, and, and I was just sick of like all this hard work and, and, and my heart sank because of, of um, my, my dead dying plant, but thankfully, amazingly, went and stuck some water in there and 45 minutes later, take a look at what it, it then turned into. Look at it, it came back. Amazing. Maybe you today are like that plant on the left. You're tired, you're depleted. You're, you're, you're fizzling out in some area in your life. Area of worry, area of doubt, area of tiredness. You've been running hard in different areas and you're just weary. You've been weary trying to please everyone and make everyone happy, guess what, you never will. And maybe today, and I trust that in 45 minutes that we will receive some healing and refreshing truths from the word of God that will spring us forth back into life and ultimately a life of fruitfulness, much greater and so much more rewarding even than cucumbers or cherries. And that's what God's word promises to do for us, to strengthen, to encourage us as we read the word and then we take it and apply it. And my prayer is, and even right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help each one who is here today um, to find strength, healing, refreshment from your word. And even though the words that may be spoken may be hard truths and difficult truths, these hard truths and these difficult truths point us to life. A life that is not only refreshed and is being restored, but is also fruitful. And God, we desire this not just so that we are great, we desire this so that you are great, that you would be glorified. 
So continue to work in us and through us by the power of your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And this morning here, as we wrap up the book of Titus, we see three vital life-giving relationships that we need to pursue, one that we need to avoid. And so encourage you to be writing this down, following along in the word of God, writing down notes as we work through this and other passages that you are given so that we can fully engage in God's word here this morning. Three vital relationships that are important for spiritual growth and for a life of faithfulness. And I trust you're ready for this. You ready to roll in this? You ready? Okay, be ready for this. Okay, let's move on. These vital signs, these life-giving signs, the most important one is the ultimate relationship. The ultimate relationship that is with God through Jesus Christ. And, um, and, and so the ultimate, the most important relationship, it is with God. And, and look at verse 8 here. We're going to read, starting in verse 8. It says, the, the trust... The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Now, if you look again at verse 8, where it says, the saying is trustworthy, that word, that phrase, the saying is trustworthy, if you want to draw a little arrow in your Bible and just point it backwards, if you, a backward arrow, if you want to point it or upwards, wherever it is, to basically verses 3 to 7. Verses 3 to 7 that we covered last week are, 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 are this is the trustworthy saying that Titus, or that Paul is writing about here. And so let's take a look at these verses, in, in, starting in verse 3. So we're going to back up a little bit. This is the trustworthy saying, and here it is. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedience led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Paul basically started, and we talked about this last week, reminding us of who we once were. This is life B.C. This was life before Christ. Christ, before Christ was at the center of our lives. And he now gives to us in the following verses one of the clearest gospel explanations that you will see in the New Testament. And he tells us how everything changes, how we go from being this kind of a person in verse 3 to being changed and to be transformed, to, be, to, to pursue and to have and experience the most important, the ultimate relationship. And he tells us how it is available to all who ask to all who believe. And he tells us that's available to all who believe. And, and this life, this relationship will one day result in heaven as our eternal reward. Verse four, so let's read about the gospel here. And when the goodness and loving kindness of our of God our Savior, meaning Jesus, his son, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He saves us according to his mercy, not based on what we have done. And he washes us and cleanses us from all of our sin. 
any sin that we have brought to God, we will no longer have to give an account for it. Those sins are forgiven. We have been cleansed. We have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he renews us and he makes us new. He takes us as an old creation and that old creation is now a new creation. We're alive in Christ. And he places his Holy Spirit in us who gives us the desire and the will to want to obey his word and to live out his truth, to, to, to be convicted of sin and to, to realize that when we sin, we have that, that voice, that reminder in us like, hey, 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 don't, go, don't, don't take that path. And we have a choice there. Am I going to obey the Spirit or am I going to disobey the Word of God? That's His Holy Spirit working in us and through us. He gives us His Spirit to empower and strengthen us to live the life that He calls us to live. And so now here in verse 8, this trustworthy saying he goes on to say, if you have experienced, and basically if you have experienced the gospel, if Christ has come into your life, if you have believed in God, as, as, as it's mentioned here, we see in verse 8, he says, and, and what does that word believe mean? Not just a head knowledge, but to rely on, cling to, to, to trust Christ for our salvation. It's excellent and then profitable, he goes on to say, for you to devote yourself to good works. This ultimate relationship, the most important relationship that we can have with God made available to Jesus Christ is going to evidence itself, Paul is telling us, through a life of good works. If the gospel, if Christ has changed your heart, it's going to show up in how you live, how you serve, how you give yourself. Your perspective starts to change. Your perspective is no longer your perspective or the world's perspective on things, but we want God's perspective and we align our lives to his word and to his teaching. Galatians chapter 2 and, and, um, and Ephesians 2, or is it, um, if you can put that verse, the verses up there, or James chapter 2 and Ephesians 2 are passages that remind us that we are not saved by our good works. Our good works aren't going to save us. Let's be clear on that, that we are not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. That from our lives as people who have been changed and are in the process of being transformed to be more and more like Christ, our lives should resemble good works. And what is good works? Good works is gospel work. What is the gospel? What Christ has done. We're going to be about his mission. We're going to look for ways that we can serve God and glorify him in that way as we are involved in the mission that he's called us to be a part of. And when we understand what Christ has done, who we once were, that we were once dead in our sin and now made alive, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, preparing a future for us in heaven. And when we repent of our sins and we turn to him, we are redeemed, we are forgiven, we are compelled to live a life of worship, of thanksgiving, a life of good works for his glory. You see, it's the gospel that is to motivate us towards good works, not trying to earn our way into heaven. Please be so clear on that and understand that. that and, and understand that the outcome of the gospel is a life of good works, serving, sacrificing, giving of ourselves in various ways. We never graduate from the gospel, though, the gospel compels us. Today, if you're, if you're not fired up about good works, get back to the gospel. You have to be reminded what Christ has done in your life, how he's given himself fully and freely to us, and that should fire us up and motivate us 
towards wanting to serve him. Today, perhaps you're weary in, in your good works and your serving. You've grown tired and maybe you've grown cynical and weary and you're looking over your shoulder and saying, where's everyone else? Why am I the only one serving? Why am I the only one that, that seems fired up in this way? Though no, no one go with us, would we still follow? Would we keep, we have to keep going back to the gospel and remember what Christ has done and be fueled by gospel fuel, by the reminder and the truth of what he's accomplished for us. And even today at the end of our messages, we sing a gospel song once again, reminded of his love, his sacrifice, what Christ has done for us, empowers and reminds us to let go of our junk, to let go of the stuff that hinders and holds us, that, that has a grip on us, and follow Jesus unapologetically and full and free. It's coming back to the cross, God, I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm weary. Fill me anew with your strength and your power. J.D. Greer said these words, he says, you, couldn't, you just couldn't have tasted of God's incredible grace and still be stingy, ungenerous. You just can't. Yet in North America, the version of church that we seem to be settling or going for at times, North America in our city, perhaps even in our own church here, it gets so sad, folks, because we can just, it's so easy to sit it's so unbiblical to just come to an understanding of the gospel and then just simply consume, never committing of ourselves, well, maybe once in a blue moon or when I feel like it or when I wake up on time or whatever it might be, when it simply fits or it's convenient to, to do that. You know, if something else doesn't come up, you know, or if it's a way that I can be recognized or noticed and a way I can stand out in the crowd, then maybe I'll, I'll step up and, and serve the Lord in that way. He's not interested in that. He's interested in willing hands, willing feet, willing minds. For us just to be consumers, to receive his grace and not to extend it and to share it and to live a life of gospel works is to make light of the cross and his sacrifice where he gave his all ultimately, fully, and freely to us. And I'm so thankful for the many who serve with a gospel heart today. But honestly, there are many who are tired and are weary, who um, are, are giving on, on both, um, both ends, uh, burning the candle on, on both sides at times. And there's need for many, many more people to sign up, to serve, to be part of the work you were given those sheets today. Are you going to fill those out? Is it going to be time to say, okay, I'm going to commit. I'm going to do this. And not necessarily look for something that you're going to be a rock star at. We're not looking for rock stars. We're looking for people in God's kingdom who are humble, who are faithful, who are obedient, and just willing to say, hey, here I am. I'm willing to do what it takes. I'm willing to be part of kingdom work. Be about the mission of God, which is a big part of that is the church of Jesus Christ. And not making this a more comfortable place to make it a more uncomfortable place for us in many ways. In, in our service, but also in uh, going out of our comfort zone, in, in welcoming, in getting to know others. This past week, as, as I shared with you last week, uh, I had this op a gospel opportunity. And, and I mean, it was a difficult thing. And yet for me, it felt the most gospel alive in some ways I have felt in a very long time when it comes to spending time with people who aren't like you. Sometimes I think I spend too much time with people like you, Christians. And some of you say, I wish I could spend more time with Christians. Well, maybe we should have a job switch every once in a while. Anyone up to preach next week? You can take over. And 
because I was asked to do a funeral service, but they asked no church, no, um, no God, no Bible, no prayer, no nothing. Um, that just wasn't a part of our dad's life, and so why make it part of his death? And, and, it, and it was like, at times, it's killing me not to say anything. I mean, there's so many times, well, let's just close in prayer. You know, but it even caused you to examine the things that you just kind of do out of tradition or whatever, and yet, before and after, and I trust down the road, there's going to be gospel conversations where I get to share the gospel with my lips, not just in our actions. And God wants to move us out, out of our comfort zone, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into the people that we're rubbing shoulders with and share the gospel with them, invite them into the life of community here in the body of Christ and to see them loved, to see them saved, to see them discipled, to see them baptized, to see God doing that work where then they're going out and multiplying others. That's what we're called to. That's the mission, not just to come and sit and, 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 you know, and then go out and live the other six days, 22 and a half hours, however we want for the rest of our lives. Week after week, we do this kind of thing. No, it's to roll up our sleeves and to be aware. And, and so vital relationships, the most important is with God through Jesus Christ, but that relationship in each one of these relationships requires action on our behalf. And here, Paul is saying, if the gospel has changed your life, it's made a difference, then you ought to be someone who is devoting yourself to gospel work, to good works. And are you doing that? The second vital relationship that we see here, um, ultimately the first one, the relationship with God, but the second one is actually some relationships that we ought to avoid. And Paul tells us that we are to avoid certain relationships. He says in verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they, un they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person, goes on in verse 10 to say, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. You know, our world is so full of so many pointless arguments and conversations, aren't they? I mean, it's nuts. So many useful controversies that can, we can get pulled into or we see others getting pulled away to, towards and, and just silly debates and arguments, especially on social media. I mean, sometimes, sadly for fun, I just go on and I'm just like, I can't believe like that conversation went from here and just went into this and now it's becoming personal and it's becoming terrible. And, and, and I mean, and the arguments are all over the place, whether it's the latest fads or trends about politics or food or health or fitness, etc., etc. Here's some of the ones that we get so hot and bothered over, GMO or non-GMO, organic or sprayed, to vaccinate or to not vaccinate, that is the question. Vegan or vegetarian, Meditarian, uh, if, if you so love, baconitarian. Uh, uh, one of my friends would definitely be that. Or, or, or is it all about the keto? Or, or, or is it alternative medical practices versus traditional practices? Trump, Trudeau, global warming, global change, all of this different stuff. And the latest thing that we kind of see going on really big, and I'm just like so sick of it already, is this Beyond Beef stuff. You know, it's just like really, you know, everyone's going beyond beef, beyond meat, you know, like, and, and uh, the only fast food restaurant that's not jumping on board so far is McDonald's, but who knows, maybe they will. Uh, that could be really scary if they try to handle that one. I mean, but everyone seems to be jumping on board, plant-based everything, and 
sometimes you just have to laugh. You just have to laugh at it. And I had a good chuckle this week over this one, this uh, about Beyond Beef. Beyond Meat corn dogs are now available at my farm, you know, and someone with some bulrushes and, you know, just being able to take it. I'm just like, okay, that is so funny. I just have to share it with people. And so I'm sharing it with you people. Enjoy. You know, like, and, and strong convictions are okay, but there has to be a balance. They cannot be your salvation. They cannot be other people's salvation. They cannot be the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that saves. No matter politics, economics, food, health, all of these different things, they're not going to save people and send people to heaven. If we concentrate and those are our number one things in life, it's going to send people to hell. Maybe give them a better life here for a time, but this is going to be the only heaven they will ever come close to experiencing. Have strong convictions. Good. But don't make it the gospel. Don't make it your life goal and calling in that way as a believer in Christ. Don't take secondary issues and make it your mission. It's good to be passionate about things that you're passionate for and about, but oh, with the gospel, with what Christ has done in us and through us, and you can even use some of those platforms as a way of sharing the gospel, but don't tick off people. Don't just be, be a part of just... Um, making it where, where it's causing division. Be careful, be careful in that. Make the gospel primary, everything else secondary or third area or fourth area. I know those aren't words and uh, some English hounds will hound me for that, but just, just lower it down. Look at in verse nine, it says, but avoid, avoid, he says, and that, that word avoid means shun, stay clear of, don't even get involved in, walk away from foolish controversies. That word foolish is, the, is where we get the word moronic from. So stay away from moronic controversies. And I believe that this is good in, in the things I've just mentioned, but Paul also brings it specifically to mean uh, in the life of the church. And, and he lists some of these things that we, can, uh, that we need to steer clear of, some of these foolish controversies, and he names them like genealogies and dissensions and quarrels about the law. And, and, and this was all causing a distraction, getting people away from the gospel and onto other secondary things, and some of them being completely wrong. And there was false teaching that was also infiltrating in this way. And so Paul is saying, stay clear from this. And genealogies are like, what, what was that all about? Well, it was cultural. It was something that, that, that was a big deal to them, not quite a big of a deal today. And yet it can rear its head in some other ways. But basically it was like, are you son of Abraham? Are you a Jew? Are you a Jew? And if so, what tribe were you in? Were you in one of the elite tribes? Like, you know, the, um, you know perhaps the, the, the tribe of Benjamin or Judah, you know? Or were you in like Ishakar or Dan? You know, those lesser tribes. I mean, it was about bragging rights. It was just about, you know, well, I can one-up you. I'm special. Look at my heritage. Look at what, you know, uh, look at my family tree, you know? And you just realize, yeah, but you're the sap in the family tree. You know, someone might, might say or think, you know, and you're not so great, you know? And, and, and it was bragging rights, comparison elitism, favoritism, stay away from that. Don't, don't go around thinking you're awesome because you're not. Jesus is awesome. He's the great one. Stay away from foolish genealogies and controversies like that. And then it goes on quarrels about the law. You see, there were those going around saying that you could, you know, basically adding or trying to change the gospel. They were trying to change the gospel from being by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but also saying by works alone 
You need to do certain things, like follow certain Old Testament laws, like circumcision and, 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 and this one-up, look at how holy I am, and I don't do this, and I do this, and I don't do this, and, and all of these things. One of the things I was reading about this week, just have to share it with you, this is how extreme and how silly these things can become. And you might say, well, I'd never get that silly. You just be careful. It may not be over this issue, because these aren't the issues that we're fighting over, but some of the issues we may take and make primary could be this foolish. And one of the things, there was a group of, of, of Pharisees during this time that um, wouldn't permit themselves and their family members to spit on the Sabbath because, because you're not to work on the Sabbath. And if you spit on the Sabbath, your spit going into um, powdery soil would impact that soil, causing a furrow to form. Ah, therefore, you're working on the Sabbath. You're plowing on the Sabbath. So don't even dare spit on this. I mean, just like foolish, silly, dumb arguments and, and quarrels one up in one another. We have to be so careful today, though, in the same way of the teachings that are available that you can that are creeping, that can creep into our lives, into our churches. I'm just so thankful one of the young men who um, has been a part of our church is away right now on an extended holiday. He, he messaged my son this past week and just said, hey, can you ask your dad about this certain book? Someone recommended it to me and said it changed their life. And then someone else also said, um, this book has some warning signs to it. And, and so, you know, he gave me the name of the book and, and I went to some trusted resources that I have that some people I really lean on for a, a good understanding of where that book is that and I, I said sent it, had my had Nate send that to uh, his friend and, and and just as a means of saying hey be careful here's some warning signs about some of the things that that book is is teaching some of the false teaching that can creep into books that have supposedly changed people's lives um, and, and, and so we have to be so careful of this um, you can find yourself reading so-called Christian books that are actually promoting false doctrine uh, whether it be a prosperity gospel. And, and, and you can find these books in a Christian bookstore or in uh, a secular bookstore in the religious section. You see all kinds of different books. Just don't assume that they're all right on, that they're on part. We have to examine these things. False teachers creep in in different ways within the body of the church, in, 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 in podcasting, in, in books, in, in articles, and social media following, all these different things. You know, and, and so if it's promoting a prosperity gospel, basically God is like a vending machine, Put a few things in, pull a few things out. Pull out whatever you want, you know, and, and God's like this human pinata. Just kind of, just, just hit a few times and you'll, you know, shake out, you know, some, some, some wonderful things in your life. God's, God's word doesn't teach that. Or, or where people claim a higher knowledge to, to, um, to th this hearing uh, new messages, revelations from God. You start hearing that, you run from that. Uh, those are dangerous, dangerous things. What they say on the surface may sound good, but they can pull you in. Authors who take a low view of Jesus and his deity and the work of the atoning work that he has done for us on the cross. Taking things out of context in the word of God or ignoring major Bible doctrine to make things fit with their theology have to be so careful. A little true confession, um, when I go into Christian bookstores or into other bookstores and I find myself in the religious section, 
I just can't help myself. It's just this temptation. And one thing I do pray is that, oh God, would you, would you just be, would people not be affected by the false teaching uh, that some of these books are promoting? And so I, I will at times take those books and the ones that you see, you know, them, you see the full front cover and that person just glaring at you. And I'll, I'll take a, a book that I can appreciate and I'll put it in front. You know, I just do a little store decoration. I just want to promote, you know, some, some, some good books and, you know, make some others kind of just hide. Uh, a little bit there on the bookshelf or just harder to see and uh, so yeah true confession I, maybe I should, shouldn't do that or whatever but it's just like ah, it drives me crazy when you see some of these things and, and the way that they can create such a following because it's giving them what their itching ears want to hear there's folks that are not these teachers these preachers or authors they're not submitting to the authority of scripture they're not submitting to authority in their lives or even authority in the local church and so we have to be so careful and folks you can spend so much time debating personally over coffee whether it is online whatever it is um, debating with people and you just walk away feeling frustrated and drained and confused and you just wonder, I don't even think I made any progress. What does Paul say to do? What does Paul say to do when you get involved in these useless controversies and, 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 and foolish kind of things going on? He says, in verse 10, warn them once, warn them twice. And then if they don't hear, receive or respond, cut them off. You say, wow, that, that sounds pretty harsh. Well, here's some other verses you may want to write down and do some study this week when it comes to church discipline. And just some other, some words that need to be taken. You might say, wow, that seems harsh. Warn them once, warn them twice, and then cut them off. Like, like basically just don't allow them to have that influence in your life. Don't keep engaging in that way. In love, gently tell them. And, and Galatians tells us that we are to restore, try to restore people gently, speak to them with love, but warn them once, warn them twice, and then just back off and, and, and turn them over to the Lord and, and be, keep praying for them. You can show them love, but you're not going to engage in these controversies you may say that doesn't seem very loving no it's actually very loving it's actually very protecting not only for you and your family but also for the church of Jesus Christ to protect the church but it is also loving them and being sharp with them in drawing that line in a form of discipline that in 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 response the prayer the hope is they're going to learn from it as in Hebrews 12 says that when discipline has finished its work we learn from it I didn't love getting disciplined by my parents. And I got disciplined biblically by my parents often. Uh, well, not as much as some of my other siblings because they were bad or else I just knew how to cover th things up. But it wasn't pleasant for me. It wasn't pleasant for my parents. Well, a few times I think my mom took some pleasure in disciplining me in, in love biblically. Um, that means with the strap or the spoon. And I didn't like it, but you know what? I learned from it. And when we discipline and when we are disciplined, when people come to us in love and they speak to us and maybe it's even hard and difficult words of truth that they say to us, we take it and we allow it to examine our lives and examine the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to do that work and we can learn and be trained from it. So discipline is a good thing. And so this isn't being harsh. This is being extremely loving. And instead of pouring our time and energy into relationships that, that are, are so frustrating and not getting anywhere, we are to invest our time 
in relationships that elevate, unite, stay on message with the gospel, surround yourself with people who need to hear the gospel with the hurting and the hungry and give them Jesus. They're, they're hurting and Jesus is the answer. Thousands for the thousands and thousands in our community who need Christ, Jesus is the answer. We give them Jesus. For those who are hungry, they're starving spiritually and need food. They need spiritual sustenance. They need Jesus. They need the word of God. We go to the hurting and the hungry and those who will receive the word of God. Even Jesus, if you remember, those who do not receive him, he ended up brushing and telling his disciples, when they won't receive you, brush the, the dust off your feet and move on. Move on and in trust, in, in faith and confidence and prayer that God will work in his time and way in their lives. So there's relationships we need to avoid. And then thirdly and finally, relationships to pursue. In these closing verses, uh, it's kind of interesting. We get a snapshot of the people that were in the trenches with Paul. And oftentimes in his letters, he closes with similar words. He gives some instructions. He's kind of organizing the, the, the bench strength for the team. He's giving some thank yous. He's giving some encouragement, some final challenges. And, and, and we see that here at the end of this letter. We get a picture of Paul's crew. We get a snapshot of those people who were in the trenches with Paul and who were in the trenches with God's people and the churches that they were a part of. And so here we see some fascinating gospel partnerships, and these are relationships that we too are to pursue, gospel partnerships. Look at verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to, to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves, once again, he says, to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and to not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in faith. Grace be with you all. And Paul mentions four people by name here, but he's also referring to a larger group of people as well, a faithful people who are in the trenches for the gospel. And here we see some of the qualities of the people's lives that were with Paul. And these are relationships that we ought to pursue. These are relationships that we ought to be a part of and we pray for and we encourage and we get along with in our lives. And, and, and here's a quick listing of them. Faithful long-haul friends is the first one that we see here. People, friends, brothers, sisters in Christ who are in it for the long haul. Not just for weeks, not just during a season of Bible study, but for weeks, months, years, even decades. To have people who will pray bigger prayers than you could ever pray. People who know you and you know them. People who you can hold accountable. Who you can speak into their lives and say, hey, I'm noticing this. What's going on? I saw the way you treated that person. I saw the way you were with your son. I saw how you answered your wife. What's going on? Is everything okay to speak into someone's life that will stand with you through the thick and thin? So we need to pursue. Another thing we see here are friends that will tell you the truth. Paul was a straight up guy, speaking the truth in his sermons, in his missionary journeys, in his teachings. In his writings, he was straight up, but he also surrounded himself with straight up people who would speak into his life that would speak truth as well. Another one is friends committed to the mission. 
We can have all kinds of friends with us on the sports field or in business and all of these different things and great, have those as great friendships. But we need to have friends that are committed to the mission of Christ with us, that we're on the same mission together. And we're realizing at times we're not crazy. We're in this for the long haul. You're going to speak the truth to me and we're committed to the mission of God, not just to the mission of our comfort or mission of success or whatever that might be, but to the mission of God. The mission that he's called us to do is to make disciples, planting churches, sending missionaries, seeing the gospel go forth. Another one, friends that are teachable. In here, he lists the names of, um, uh, lists names, but in other writings, we see other men and women that Paul mentioned who were teachable, humble spirits, people who were willing to learn, willing to do what they were told, but also that we would be a teachable friend to others as well. And then finally, we see here friends that stir up boldness, that when we are weak, when we are weary, we would have life-giving friends that will give us words of encouragement, words of correction, words of scripture, words of truth, all coming from the word of God. And, and so we see the, these attributes and, and we see this in these four guys that are listed here. And so let's quickly just look at these names here. I mean, it's fascinating when you study scripture and you see all of this just, just kind of like ah, coming out at you, Artemis. Well, actually, we don't know too much about him, but we do know that he was willing to be trained and willing to go where Paul went to, um, where, where Paul would have him go. He, he said, well, I'm either going to send Titus. I want you to come here with me. I'm going to take a little season of rest here. I want you to come. I'm going to train you up. I'm, you're going to get some rest too. You're probably a little weary and tired and helping with all those church plants, but either Artemis or, or, or Tychicus is going to go with you, is going to replace you. And so we see a guy who was willing to be trained up, willing to do what, what was needed to be done. And so we see someone who was just willing to do what was asked. Tychicus. He's mentioned a number of times in the New Testament, and, and he's mentioned as a dear brother and faithful servant. He accompanied Paul on some of his missionary journeys. He was with Paul before and after his imprisonments, he was a willing, faithful servant. He was there. He was willing to take over once again the church in Crete. If Paul wanted him to do, he was there. He was ready and willing when needed, where needed. Zenos the lawyer, for only time he's mentioned in Scripture. You wonder, why is he mentioned? Well, this is awesome because this is the only time that we see there being a, such thing as a Christian lawyer. See, it's possible for there to be Christian lawyers, and Zenos was one of them. No, there are many good Christian lawyers, and we need good, godly Christian lawyers in our society, right? But no, Zenos, the lawyer, he's a regular guy. Had an everyday job, had a career. He wasn't a pastor, he wasn't a missionary, he didn't have some title in that way, he was a lawyer. Just doing everyday work. But he was willing and ready to be sent out by the Lord for gospel work, to see gospel churches planted and, 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 and growing. So we see Zenos, the lawyer, on mission. Are you on mission for God regardless of your job title? We're to be on mission for him. And then Apollos. Apollos is mentioned 10 times in the New Testament as an evangelist, apologist, church leader, friend to Paul, amazing guy, mighty in the scriptures. He knew the truth of God's word and he spoke with great boldness and yet we see he was teachable. In Acts chapter 18, there were some areas of the gospel he didn't have a full understanding of. And it tells us in Acts 18 how, Tichik, how Priscilla and Aquila came alongside of him and filled those gaps in, in his theology. He was teachable and God used him greatly. Are you pursuing gospel relationships like this in your life? Faithful, long-haul friends and partners in ministry along with you in life 
through the years of parenthood, marriage, um, empty nesthood, um, whatever stage that we're in, we need to have brothers and sisters walking with us. I'm so thankful for two men in my life that have been walking with me for over 20 years. Sometimes I think, and they have no doubt many times thought, they're crazy. Both of them, these friendships, they started in Alberta, and one of them is still living in Alberta, and he and his wife are here today. Been in the trenches together in ministry. Still in the trenches with us. Even though we've been apart for nine years, he's stood with us and continues, he and his wife, to stand with us in this church and praying for it. He probably knows more about what's going on in the church than many of you folks even know, simply because of um, just their in tuneness with, with what God is doing here. It's not because I give them all the secrets or all the information about the church here. They're, they're gospel partners even through the miles. And thankful for life-giving friends like you guys, Darren and Anna Mae. And then another couple over 20 years. It was 20 years ago last month I performed their wedding ceremony. Yeah, we all look a little bit younger there, don't we? For Jason and Nina, had the privilege of marrying them, seeing God do some amazing things in their lives, baptizing them, being able to dedicate four, their four children, and now even more recently, in the last few years, baptizing two of their daughters. Faithful, loyal. These men have been truth-speaking men in my life. Humble, in it for the long haul. Do you have gospel partners like that? And I'm thankful for the gospel partnerships and gospel friendships that God is building here with, with other men in, in this church. And, and, and we all need this in our lives. This is what we're going for. The most important relationship, the gospel, that's going to show itself in good works. But then we're also going to avoid certain friendships. We're going to avoid controversy. But we're going to pursue these life-giving, life-changing friendships with brothers and sisters in Christ. Your best days on this planet will be the days that you devote yourself to gospel work, not your, not your kingdom work, but his kingdom work. Let's pray. God in heaven, I pray that each one of us, even this week, we would be examining, we would be looking at our lives in light of what we heard here today. Are we pursuing you fully, first and foremost in our lives, that ultimate relationship? Has the gospel changed us on the inside? And if so, is it changing us and how we're living our lives, and how we're serving, and how we desire anywhere, any place, any time, God, I want to be there for you, faithful, available, loyal. God, that's what good works, that's what the gospel is to produce in our lives. If there's people we have to have that one talk with, that two talk with, and then we need, if they do, do not change, to avoid them, God, give us the strength, the wisdom to be able to do that and to speak to the truth to them in love. And then, God, the relationships that we are to pursue that will bring glory and honor ultimately to you but will give us great joy, strength, and confidence for the weary, for the weak. When we get depleted, God, these relationships are vital and sometimes it's that second relationship that can drain us. And God, would we have relationships in our life, pursue them fully this week. Get intentional. Get intentional about your word, we pray. In your name, Jesus.